Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, get to chat some, to some of the most interesting uh, voices in self-publishing, authorship, uh, authorpreneurialism and all those things to do with this crazy industry that we are in. And today we actually are really, really excited to have a special guest who many of you might well have heard of. It is Dave Chesson, the man behind Kindlepreneur and of course Publisher Rocket and we are massively excited to have him here. Dave, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad and thank you for having me. Oh, well, we are very glad to, to speak to you. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, the uh, man behind Hidden Gems and an author himself, Craig Touch. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great, Roland. Thanks. And thanks, uh, Dave, for joining us. Um, we definitely have so many things to talk to you about if uh, <laughs> if we just run the, the the gamut of what you uh, what you cover on Kindlepreneur. But I think, um, you know, we, we wanted to talk mainly about Publisher Rocket, just because um, that's something that a lot of self-publishers uh, use or or should use. Um, it seems like it's a tool that, I mean, Roland uses it a lot himself too, but uh, it's a tool that, you know, it can, it can, at the very least, save authors a ton of time, even if they know how to do a lot of the things that it can do for you manually, right? Because most of it you can do manually, but they're super time-consuming things. And as we all know, there's, as a self-publisher, there's so many things on your plate already. So if you can save some time, you know, <laughs> cut some corners, it's certainly worth the, the, the price of admission, right? So why don't you tell us, uh, well, you know, just maybe just tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself and Kindlepreneur and how, you, why, how and why you started Publisher Rocket and we can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um... So, you know, my author career really got started uh, not because I was some incredible writer. I actually, I grew up with dyslexia. I never believed that I was going to be a writer because, you know, when that was the one subject where, you know, I'd get A's in like math and physics and everything like that. But my parents and I'd be like, oh, I get a C in English. Let's go. So I never really grew up believing that I was destined to write. But that being said is, is that the desire to write, it doesn't like go away. Right. And so um, there was a time where I was deployed all the way on the other side of the world in Korea, and I just started to get into writing books at the time. The thing, though, was, was that I wanted to understand a little bit more about the market. Um, you know, I started analyzing what was going on, what was working on Amazon. Uh, where were there opportunities where maybe I could write a book that actually had a hungry market already existing and kind of benefit from that? And it's kind of like that old thing, like um, when I was in diplomacy, they always said like, hey, you didn't have to be the smartest man in the room. You didn't even have to be the best speaker. But if everybody in the room wants to know the one thing you have to say, you become the most popular one in the room. And so I kind of apply that to books. Uh, and <clears throat> I, I've got a bit of an analytical mind. I started to really dig into what makes Amazon tick. Why does Amazon choose to show this book over that? Um, what? you know, what can I do to help them? And so I started Kindlepreneur.com at that point, uh, where is a website that I just wanted to teach about these things that I was already implementing my own books. Uh, the idea of Rocket actually started because back then there really wasn't much uh, at the disposal for authors. You know, publishing companies have been using this kind of data for a very long time. They have 
key information to help them make the right decisions. You know, they're not just reading a story or doing a chapter and then saying, okay, this is going to be great. Like they're looking at the market analysis. They're looking at what people are searching for. How can they position their book better? What kind of keywords categories can be used? Um, And so for the longest time, publishing companies had that data and we authors, we self-published authors did not. And so that is actually what started Publish Rocket is I wanted to create a program that gave data to authors so they could make the right decisions about their books. And so it just kicked off from there. That's awesome. So the data that you're getting is this, um, you know, I know that uh, you can grab certain things from the website through various ways that Amazon has an API, but, you know, what they have in it is limited. Um, So are you grabbing that information from all those sources or do you have some sort of, um, you know, other way that you're able to to grab it. I don't know if you have a, a, you know, a developer contact at Amazon that's given you a different API that everyone else has, or uh, is this just all sort of derived from that sort of information? That Yeah. That- so we uh, have a combination of things that really play into it. I mean, it is not one single source. Uh, what Rocket was years ago is completely different than what it is today. Um, we're constantly adding and improving our systems. Uh, so we do directly pull information from Amazon at the point that somebody asks, but we also have years of data that has been collected on Amazon. Um, I mean, we're talking terabytes of systems. Uh, We've also brought in machine learning and AI specialists that have gone through to help analyze all of that data to create systems to help us to understand what's going to, what's going to forecast, right? There's forecasting involved as well. What is projected to happen? And so we've incorporated that all inside the software. So it's using known data forecasts as well as instantaneous data. And I know that was like super technical for a lot of the listeners, but the key is, is that we use all of these systems to ensure that we've not only got accurate data as of now, but can give projections uh, beyond today and into tomorrow. Um, another thing that we've done too is we've uh, worked with a lot of publishing companies throughout the world to also back our data and to verify that things are accurate. So, right now, Publisher Rocket is designed for the US, the UK, and the German market. We do have a couple of markets that we've been working on for a bit, but like we just don't open it up and say, okay, we're going to guess that these markets are kind of work like a lot of companies might do. Uh, We actually make sure that we have a basis with publishing companies in those countries so as to ensure that we can always balance our data and verify that, you know, what was recorded and perceived and produced can be backed by actual numbers that were received as well. So it's not just hypothesis. So we don't come out with a lot of markets. So we feel really strongly about the data we we can collect as well as report. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking that, you know, I'm in Canada. So um, so you didn't mention Canada. Is that uh, not one that you do right now or? So Canada is one where I think we could, I think we're near the cusp of where I think we have the accuracy, but I will say that we found that there wasn't as much of a, of a difference between the U S and the Canadian market as I would have expected. Uh, now granted there are certain subject matters or certain, uh, uh, even genres that are vastly different, but generally speaking, we see a proportional difference between the U S and the Canadian market. Um, there's a lot more difference in the UK market and, um, it's kind of interesting kind of looking at how the, all the different markets work. Um, 
you know, between them. So I think we're right on the cusp with Canada. We just haven't released it yet. Yeah, I, I no, I would agree. Like we are very close in proximity to the U.S. And as such, you know, everybody here sort of always sort of jokes about how the you know we're getting all of our content really from the U.S. We don't produce a ton of. Um, you know, Canadian television and, and movies that aren't sort of already driven by a U.S. production company. You know, a lot of people, you know, film here, but the content is U.S. usually, right? So we have a lot of the similar taste. So it doesn't surprise me that, that that's the case at all. Um, but- hockey romance. Hockey romance. That's huge yeah. in Canada and it's nowhere else in the entire world. But hockey romance is huge. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, but yeah, that was um, sort of, what I was thinking too, like, uh, because for authors, a lot of authors, um, and myself, including when I was writing romance, I was primarily targeting the U S. Um, so even if I, even if the tool didn't support .ca wouldn't matter because I was mainly trying to sell to us anyways. Right. So, um, I think, you know, that's probably the case for a lot of authors. I would imagine that the U S is one of the biggest, if not the biggest market. So everyone's going to want to, sort of target their stuff there at least even if they're not also targeting their local market exactly we, we found that where if you were to do research on a u.s keyword or, or something of that magnitude and you found it was a great one for the u.s 99.999 percent of the time it was just as good for the canadian market um at, so for a lot of people are like hey i need a specific canadian i'm like hey just as a heads up if you got that data on the u.s that's very applicable for canadian but that being said though is there's a couple of other areas that i think we could improve like for example the category systems as well um and just kind of some more that we're working on but absolutely i mean the categories yeah. thing to me is one of the most it's, it's like one of the obliquely most valuable things about um publisher rocket because when i publish a book you try and get it in 10 categories and as far as i'm aware there's no other way to find all 10 categories for that book because if you go to the product page you'll have the top three categories your book can be listed in 10 and so when i'm trying to look up other books with competing categories it's like publisher rocket seems to be the only tool that does that for you and that's huge yeah so for a lot of for the listeners out there uh one thing that that's kind of a misconception for authors is that when you go to publish your book for the first time right and you go into amazon kindle direct publishing and they're going to ask you hey select two categories from here uh that giant list that they show right there isn't amazon categories those are actually called bisacs and bisacs are like an international standardization code um that help kind of supply chain logistics for publishing companies and just kind of break that down a little bit. Um, back in the day, it used to be where like a, pu- a big publishing company would say, have this one book and they're like, all right, we're going to give this a category of Wiccan, you know? And so they pop their, they write in their category and they send it off to the stores. Now certain stores are really big and they might actually have a Wiccan, you know, uh, aisle or bookshelf or section. Mom and pa shop only have 10 aisles. So they ran into problems where companies, bookstores, wouldn't know where to put a book because they didn't understand the category that was given to it. And so one store might read Wiccan and say, oh, that's religious studies. Another one set might read Wiccan and be like, oh, that's that's paranormal or fantasy. And so this was causing problems in the book world. And so they decided to create this BISAC system. And the BISACs generally are about 4,800 categories you can select from. And what it works is, is that when the publishing company selects a BISAC, okay, and um, they, they submit it, 
every store has kind of in their internal system, right? This ability to say, well, this BISAC code, this number automatically puts it on that shelf. And so now there's no more subjective human issues or problems or mistakes being made. Um, so when you go to publish on Amazon, that's exactly what you're doing is you're doing the BISAC code. Here's the kicker though. While there's 4,800 BISACs, there are over 11,000 Amazon categories, which means that if you're one of those writers that just selects one of those BISAC codes, those two, okay, and you let Amazon just put it wherever, basically Amazon's going to put you in the equivalent 4,800 categories that everybody else's books go into. And if you don't know about what we're talking about here, or, you know, you just, you just went with like everybody else, you're going to be in the most competitive categories automatically. And there's over 6,000 categories that are rarely touched or sometimes get some books in them. Or if you're listening to this episode, you'll know this now that you can get yourself put in those. And so like Rolla was saying is, is that there is a lot of, there are 11,000 categories. There's no list out there. Um, and I mean, you can click through Amazon, you can try to find, uh, you could go to somebody's book and like, like we were just saying, they'll show you three categories there, but that book could be a part of 10. And so you don't get to see all those things. And so inside of rocket, we have the entire list of every category for those markets. Uh, and it can quickly tell you how many books you need to sell in order to be the number one bestseller. So you can make that decision as well. And one thing I'm really excited about, by the way, and I get to I'll announce it here, uh, but very soon we're coming out with a historical category system. And and for anybody who owns Rocket, all of our new features and capabilities are free upgrades. I personally hate it when software is like, oh, you got to pay more because they improved. Um, what's going to be really cool about this is that we have been tracking every category for a very long time. And uh, you're now going to be able to see like, for example, the sales trends of certain categories, you could even see annually, like, hey, this category usually dips at this point or peaks at this point. Uh, you could see how much money, how many competitors. You can even see the the average price of books that do well in this category. We're also going to try to break it out between published and self-published books. So you can see how that changes just by removing, you know, the major corporation books and or bringing them in or whatever. And I'm, I can't wait. So all 11,000 categories is going to have this capability. Um, and so we're really jazzed about that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know it used to work where um, the certain keywords would put you into certain yeah, categories. Back in well. the day, that was the mm-hmm. way. So yeah. it's it was interesting. There was like, uh, so uh, like you were just saying, if you wanted to get in a certain category, you had to use specific words. And they used, Amazon used to have a page that would actually tell you what keyword you would have to put in there. So like, for example, if you wanted to be an authorian, um, uh, was it fiction, right? You know, like yeah. King Arthur, right? Uh, you had to have authorian in your one of your keywords. So they used to have this. But then about a couple of years ago, Amazon got rid of that. And instead, they created a special page for you to go to to submit the categories you want to be added for. And um, I'm sure we could dig that up and put it in the show notes for this uh, for, for you guys. But you go there, you fill it out. You basically say, OK, my book's ASIN is this. And I want you to change the categories for this market. So like U.S. or German or whatever. And then here's the category strings, the the basically the the lines that tell you 
Here's all the ones I want to be a part of. Now, I'll tell anybody that if you do this process, you got a 5% chance that the Amazon human on the other end will reject you. And what's even funnier is when that Amazon human rejects you, they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, but we do not take requests for categories. And you're like, I filled out your category change request form. Of course you do. Just resubmit it. You always get that weird Amazon human that hasn't been trained or I have no idea what, and they say something ridiculous. Just just redo it. So yeah, just a heads is, up on that. I've done it to is, all my books and I've never experienced that. So maybe it's uh, they're it's hilarious. a common problem though, right? It's not just about that. Like, I mean, people all the time give me wonky, you know, send me an email like, oh, Amazon's doing this now. And I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're and not. they're like, oh, no, uh, somebody from KDP uh, support told me that. I'm like, yeah, ask again. Yep, <laughs> you know, exactly. like, just, you'll get somebody else. <laughs> I say that all the time. They, I get an email for somebody and it, categories or pricing or freemiums or this or that. And I'm just like, try it again. And they're like, yeah. oh, it worked. I'm like, yeah. You got yeah. one of those Amazon humans. <laughs> it is huge, though. That, that particular thing that uh, Publisher Rocket does for you can be huge. I mean, I write under a pen name and my own name, and my own books have never, like, sold a massive amount. And I managed to, using those categories and sending off that form, just like you instructed, get my book into three number one spots on the, the free charts because of that. So I think that's, that's part of what uh, Publisher Rocket does that is, like, invaluable. And I don't know how you do it any other way. Yeah, it's um, and, you know, like we were saying, too, is, is that you could try to do that manually. You could try to go through every uh, found category on Amazon. You probably won't find them all. Um, and what's really neat about categories, by the way, is that you'll find that some uh, category, some of the same categories are in different main categories. And so and those different ones that you don't think of are usually the ones that give the best opportunity. So like, for example, sci-fi military isn't just in the science fiction and fantasy category. It's also in literary fiction. It's in YA. It's also in nonfiction, which is really weird. Um, but yet it is there. And and so that's one of those things where I'll tell you this, the number of sales you would need to make in order to be the number one bestseller in science fiction and fantasy sci-fi military is insanely higher than it is for the same category, but in the literary fiction main category. So, I mean, that's just knowing that and making sure that you chose the one uh, gives you a much higher chance of being a bestseller in a great category, if that's a good fit for your book, than not. And so it really helps to kind of open that up. But that being said, though, is you could manually do it, but just imagine how many hours you save yourself by quickly accessing a list that helps you to immediately tell you how many sales you would need. And you can literally compare apples to apples at that point. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing that's so valuable about Publisher Rocket is just, you can do these things manually as Craig said, but it takes hours. Like you have to scrape. I used to have a system with uh, Excel where I'd like copy and paste the whole thing and put it in and then run an algorithm I ran to delete it all just to, to certain bits and like yeah. you can go into Publisher Rocket and put in an, an author's ASIN number and get the ASINs and the ISBNs of all their books, which is like a click. And that would take hours to do manually. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another thing uh, that really comes into play about it is, is that the um, it's since Atticus or excuse me, Rocket is only um, a one time fee. Uh, so it's $97 and you get it for life. And that includes all of our upgrades and updates and everything like that. Um, and so one of the things that I tell authors, I was like, hey, look, 
if the program helps you to sell 48 books more in your entire author career than it pays for itself, or I don't know how much you value an hour of your time, but let's say it's $20 an hour. If Rocket Sell saves you five hours of your time in your entire author lifetime, then it paid for itself. And I think that's a very fair statement for anybody out there, uh, especially who's really putting themselves into the book and really working to get um, you know, the most out of it. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's something that we try to, you know, always push authors to understanding is that uh, there's lots of things you can do yourself, right? Um, Absolutely. When you're trying to save money, especially when you're starting, but that doesn't, it's not always saving you money. It's sometimes costing you money, right? And if you look at what your book would, your next book would earn and all the hours you're taking away from that, um, then it pays for itself. But not just that, some, you might not do as good of a job as you could have and then lose out on potential sales. And we see that like if somebody says, well, I can't afford to pay a cover designer, so I'll just do it myself, right? And right. they do a garbage cover and then their book doesn't sell and then they're like, I guess I'm not a good author. But if they had a great cover, maybe it would have been a whole different thing, right? It's like they would have made a bunch of sales and would have given them the confidence. They would have kept going, you know, like so many things, right? So it's the same thing here. You can do it yourself, but maybe you'll miss a bunch of categories or you won't realize that um, military in this category, you only need a uh, hundred sales or you need a hundred sales to get at the top. But in this category, you only need five. And if they'd put themselves there, then they would have got bestseller status and that would have organically helped. Right. So yep. and, and that's something I wanted to point out because I'm not sure if. Um, if we were super clear on that is that, you know, not just the list of categories, right? Uh, Rocket will show you the list of categories, but also show you how many sales you need to make to get to the number one spot or the number 10 spot or whatever, wherever you want to go. Um, and because some categories are more competitive than others, that that's what happens is maybe in this category, it's a hundred and this one, it's only five or 10 or 20. And so, why like that's super hard to figure out on your own and publish a ragged, you know, it just lists it out. It's right there. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so, I mean, there's that time component. And then on top of that too, like if you move over to keywords, right. Um, there are a lot of things you can do manually, but I'll, I'll tell you this. There are a lot of things you can't do manually. Um, so for example, um, one of the things that with keywords is like when you're looking for keywords or keyword ideas, you can always go to amazon.com and start typing into the search bar. And Amazon will try to guess at what you're saying by using their information of what people have typed in the past. And so this can help you to generate lists, right? And you can really go through. But one of the things that's really cool with Attic or for, with Publisher Rocket is that it's constantly doing even more to get more out of Amazon because Amazon's dropdown list isn't everything. It's kind of a best guess. And just because it's on the list doesn't mean that it's very popular. So there's one aspect to just the keyword uh, feature alone. The other one is something that we we designed that, again, does not use any other information or, or Google or any of that stuff like some people do. It's the Amazon searches per month. That number alone tells you uh, with a certain level of accuracy that this term gets this many searches per month. And I will say this for, for clearance. If, if the number is higher on one and lower for another, it really is higher and lower. And so now instead of guessing, instead of seeing a list of words and saying, okay, well, that kind of looks good or that good, you can actually see 
how many searches and then make a much better decision. And one final thing too that we've done that's on the inside in the programming that I think is really important for authors is that um, because we've been collecting data for years, we started to notice this phenomenon, okay? Where there are certain keyword phrases that get searched a lot, but people don't end up buying for it, all right? And what? here's an example of it, okay? Uh, if somebody comes goes to Amazon and types in fantasy book, I, I will tell you, there are a lot of people that type in the word fantasy book into Amazon. It's true. But let me tell you this subjectively, okay? What are the chances that Amazon is gonna present the perfect fantasy book that that person is somehow envisioning with such a broad phrase? You know what ends up happening is the person doesn't click on anything that shows up because they realize, ah, crikey, that's not going to give me what I want. And so they add another word to the end of fantasy. So literally it's like fantasy book dragon. And now they look, they're like, okay, crap. That's that's uh, showing me a whole bunch of how to train your dragon or kids books. No, no, no. Now I need to put a quantifier in there. And they add something. So it's now fantasy book dragon um, game of thrones. You know, because now they're, now they're starting to generate the better idea. But here's the thing. As they start getting more niche in that phrase, the searches per month will actually decrease. I mean, let's face it. There are less and less people that put in that exact phrase. However, though, the percentage of people that actually buy a book increases dramatically. And so sometimes I tell authors, hey, when you're looking at your keywords, You'd be surprised how good something like, um, you know, Space Marine Alien Bug Hunt works over just science fiction military. Okay. And our system actually accounts for that. And one of the cool things that we offer is, is that when you're doing the keyword search and you click, you'll notice that we have a red, yellow, green system. Okay. And the red, yellow, green system is just a quick indicator of telling authors, hey, that's a good searches per month. And hey, that's a good competition level. And some authors will say, wait a second, you gave a red for this one that says 2000, but you gave a green for this one that says 500. And it's like, yeah, because the 500 sells a lot more than the 2000. So there's a lot of things inside the system just making it easier for authors. And so to recap on that, it's finding more keyword phrases that you can use. It's giving you numbers that help you to actually figure out which ones are better. And then it's also giving you a red, yellow, green system to tell you if that's a great idea for your book or not. Yeah, and it shows you uh, sort of like the amount of money that you can uh, that you can earn, right, on, on those, I believe. Uh, exactly. Yep. At that. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's like just to throw out some stats that I got from from your guys uh, yesterday. But, uh, you know, 66 percent of bookshoppers start looking at uh, that for a book through the search bar. Eighty nine percent of those end in a purchase. Twenty seven percent of the clicks go to the first position in the search bar. So getting your book in there and getting it to the top is super important, right? And Exactly. Like and even more so for a new author who doesn't have an email list that they can depend on, doesn't have giant connections with other authors, um, you know, doesn't have grandiose skills with Facebook ads or Amazon ads. This is your opportunity to basically have Amazon put you, you know, in the quote unquote storefront so that people can see you. And more importantly, the kind of people that you want to see that want to find you, um, you know, I'm a 
huge lit RPG cultivation dungeon reader. I love those books. And by the way, those are like the keywords I type into Amazon every time I'm looking for my next fix. That is a weirdly pop. Oh, that is like a massively popular genre that didn't even I, exist. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It is. And you know what? It's not slowing down either. Um, I mean, it took the world. So not to get off subject, but I think <laughs> that Ready Player One is what really kicked it off first yeah. because people mm-hmm. started looking at lit RPG. I know some people would hate me for saying that that's lit RPG, but okay, come on. Um, Game lit started to take off. And then all of a sudden, I think people just realized that this was a thing. And then it, it's grown and it keeps growing and it becomes more popular. We've got phenomenal um, authors out there that are just taking it to the next level from like Dakota Kraut, James Hunter, and and even more. And um, But anyways, coming back to it though, is that I will type in that exact phrase to look for my next fix, right? And um, I don't go there because I heard of a book. I don't go there because I'm going there because I've got a I've got a a type of book that I enjoy. I have a, a thing that I desire to read, and I'm just like Amazon, show me my next read. And what's interesting is we're finding that there are there is a significant percentage of Amazon shoppers that operate in that same way. Like it's about a voracious hunger for the next book. And those actually account for a large portion of the sales. So when you start to understand those phrases that really trigger that kind, and you're actually writing that, the more in line you're with, with them, the easier it becomes from the get-go. Um, and one in- important lesson that I'm, I'm going to put out there for everyone here is that one of the things that I like to do when I'm working with my, with my cover designer is I actually like to send my keywords to them. And the reason why I do this is because I like my cover designer to know that these are generally the kind of phrases that will bring people to this book. And what that helps them to understand is the kind of thing that they should highlight in the cover itself. So imagine this. Um, If I type in, say, epic fantasy, dragon war mage, Okay. And by the way, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm hitting uh, fiction most because it's usually the one that people struggle with the most. Nonfiction is a lot easier on the keywords. It's about pain points, uh, solutions, you know, and uh, descriptions, right? But in fantasy, like these words are big. Well, if I'm telling them that War Mage and, and Dragon is going to be a big part of it, it's going to bring people in. I really hope there's something on that cover that, that shows you know, the dragon and, and war mages and something. And all of a sudden it changed like that genre book cover designer knows what looks good in the genre, but now they know what to highlight. A great example of this, I was working with an author and we were trying to figure out time periods and settings. And that's another great area for, um, for fiction keywords. And apparently I did not know this. Uh, there is a very popular phrase or setting called gas lamp. And apparently gas lamp is like this time period where it's like more in the industrial age and that it is um, kind of when it switched from like wax uh, lights to gas lamps. And and so it, it's called that. Right. And so when we were doing that, she brent, she sent that up to her, uh, her, her um, designer and they had this great character in the center. The problem is, is that you couldn't tell what period this book was in. And that affected the book a lot because it was important that it was during that time period because it was more of a, 
I don't know, mechanical. Uh, it's kind of bit. like steampunk, but not quite. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, it's, it's not like yeah, exactly. It's fantasy and, steampunk. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Exactly. Fantasy steampunk. But it also like, and because of the gas lamp, it has a specific time period of steampunk. So anyways, so the thing was, is that the designer never had anything that actually showed that time period, which would have lost a lot of her potential customers because they would not have realized it was that kind of steampunk gas uh, gas lamp thing. And so when he knew that that was going to be one of the keywords, he added some gas lamps in the background that add a little bit more glow and ominous point to it. And it was awesome. And like I, so like I said, I love to send my keywords to my book, uh, book cover designers because it helps them to understand the mentality of the people that will come across this book and who we want them to grab. And when you do that, I think that's an incredible one-two punch. That's that's really, really good insight because I think some people like immediately go to a publisher rocket thinking like, oh, I'll get my keywords right and that'll fix everything. But actually books are more holistic, aren't they? It's keywords are one part of everything having to work in in unison to make that perfect stream of somebody's eyeballs to them clicking by now. I think it's a symbiotic relationship because, you know, if any any digital marketing, they always say, oh, before you create a landing page, you should put yourself in the mind of the person who's going to land on it. OK, got it. Well, let's go with books here. If I type in lit RPG, game lit cultivation, OK, I the first thing I do. So I type it in and Amazon produces those books. I'm looking at the covers and I'm starting to figure out which ones trigger. And then I'm my eyes draft over to the title and subtitle. And then if it continues to sort of fit what I expect it should be, which means that it, yep, okay, this is definitely a lit RPG game lit cultivation. Okay, yep, oh, definitely. All right, I'm more likely to click. And when I click, now I'm looking for things to convince me to buy, right? So I'm reading the book description. And if the description sounds really cool and continues to further my belief that this is a lit RPG cultivation game lit book, then you better believe it. I'm going to be more likely to buy and having those things streamlined is important. And I'm going to, I brought up the game lit uh, example because this is one of those times where I'm going to give advice that some people don't agree with until they hear why. But if you think about game literature, role-playing game, all right. So that, that's what that lit RPG is literature uh, role-playing games. Okay. And cultivation is you build up your points by, you know, when you beat people up, you get more points. Here's the thing. You can't show that in a cover. In the cover, it's just going to look like a normal fantasy. You're not going to do a digitalization. You're not going to do points that looks like childish or so. Like, so if you ever look at some of the best game lit uh, books out there, there's no part of that cover that would tell you it's game lit. But that is a huge keyword that drives in the right people for those books. So what I highly recommend to an author do is if they have some component that just cannot be shown in the cover to affirm that, you know, shopper desire, then use the subtitle. And, and I know some people are like, oh, it's fiction. Uh, you just have a title. I don't want to put it. Nope. Especially if you're a new author, help your future reader understand that this is a game lit adventure book. Okay. Um, or if you're not, if you're worried about people not understanding uh, the demographic, the age group of this book, then put it in there subtly. You know, a young adults uh, crusade to such and such. You see what I'm saying? Like, help them because one thing I've learned in book marketing, especially when it comes to search, is once you confuse, you lose. 
So oh, if, that, if that symbiotic relationship is broken somewhere, you will either get less people even acknowledging your book on the search results. You'll get less people clicking on your book. You'll get less people buying. If one part of that thing is just off by a little bit or a little bit confusing. One of the things that I, I when I'm like consulting with people, I've seen people who bring in this like book cover. And what I love to do just to really show everything I just said in an example, I'll take the book cover immediately. I'll take the title off of it and I will show it to just a random stranger. I'll be like, hey, looking at this, what do you think this book's about? And what do you think the age group is? And a lot of times people get this wrong. Um, when people do a cartoon drawing, you know, of the book cover, people, normal not people connected to you or know you will immediately assume it's a child's book. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you have, uh, you know, you just, you have something different. See, that's why if you ever look at like genre covers, you'll notice they all look the same. It's a dress code. Yeah, it yeah. is. When I was working with Orson Scott card, um, which by the way, he goes by Scott. If you ever, if you ever get to know the guy, he was my favorite author as a, when I was younger. Yeah. Right. I, and I, it was like my dream come true to work with him. Cause I still, I love the dude. Um, and so he told me the story and this story to me is like one of the best. Uh, he said that when he wrote Ender's game, which is his famous Hugo Nebula award-winning book, phenomenal book. I've read it to all my kids. Um, he said that they showed him Tor showed him the cover and he looked at that and he's like, no, that's terrible. It's like, that's not even in the book. And they look over and they're like, Scott, it doesn't need to be in the book. And they're like, no, I hate this. And he, and, and for those who don't know, the cover is like this giant spaceship and there's this tiny little spaceship coming out of it. And there's these weird dotted lights that it's about to probably follow. There, that's not in the book. There's no, that's not a space station. You know, like the battle school, that's nothing. It's not a part of it. It was just a science fiction cover. And he was like, well, fine. He didn't have a say. So he's like, all right, whatever. Comes back years later. He's like, oh my gosh, yeah, you guys were right. <laughs> and because what it was, was that it didn't need to be an image from his book. It just needed to tell people this is a sci-fi military. And at the time, that was the way to show people the sci-fi military. And I, I started laughing and I said, Scott, oh my God, that's hilarious because that's exactly how I found your book. I was in middle school at the time. I got in trouble. And the librarian basically was like, I'm either sending you to the principal's office or you go find a book. And if you read it by, by next week, I'll forget about it. I said, yes, ma'am. So I went over there and I was like literally looking at the spines of the book. And I'm like, whatever, I don't read. This is not my jam. And I saw the little spaceship thing. I was like, oh, I like Star Wars. Fine. Grabbed it. Didn't even read the back. It said this one. She She approved it. And I read it. I was like, that's exactly what happened was I was like, oh, that's a that's a sci-fi book. I will read the sci-fi book. So I'm trying to say is, is that I know we're authors and I know creativity is amazing and it's super cool. But when you think about marketing to your readers, what you really need to do is make sure it fits their what they perceive as the kind of book you truly are. So next time you do this, use that keyword phrase to the cover, to the title, subtitle, and then the book description. If you have that down and it fits your people, you will do so much better in your book sales. We did a we did a little study where we went to the top 100 of certain categories like military romance or something and then did it by the numbers. And it's like, I think in espionage thrillers, 80% of books had sans serif text in white. 
and like a, a, a I can't remember it was like black and red or something thing and a shadowy figure in the inside and it's like a dress code it's like if you're not wearing the right dress code you people are just going to gloss over your exactly. face. it even comes down to where the eyes point yeah are they looking directly at you or are they looking off to the sunset i mean it is like it's cookie cutter yeah, you have to, it's, it's so, one of the things you hear the most from authors is like, well, but I don't want my book to look like everybody else's book. It's different. And it's like, but you need to meet readers' expectations. Otherwise, they're not going to get it. And, but, but then they'll, what they'll do is sometimes they'll pull that one book that, that from a massively famous author that sold a billion copies that doesn't look like all the other books. And they're like, oh, but he did it. And it's like, apples to apples man <laughs> you know right like, you're not there yet yeah he can do whatever he wants and he'll sell a million books doesn't matter right but you're well, just starting you need to to meet the expectations and one readers. thing i would do with that example is i would actually show people some of the biggest famous books and their change of cover over the years yeah. because there's a lot these publishing companies don't just randomly decide to change a cover Okay. These publishing companies don't randomly decide to put something together. There is something there. And also too, the funny part is you could also follow books after that famous book and see how they copied it. I mean, let's go with, um, what's the twilight series, right? Yeah. That, that book cover you, I mean, the black one with the apple. Exactly. Right. And it almost, and almost, you could almost, uh, kind of distill this down into all of a sudden those YA, just YA in general started to move into just the one symbol in the middle, like the one thing, whether it's one apple, ominous, or it's a, it's a seal, you know, with uh, a hunger games, or it's the, like, they all started to just do this. Like if it's a edgy dystopian, uh, YA, they all have the same thing formula and and yeah. but that's the thing is is that you know you can be a little different in making your seal look a little different or you can make the background look more craglier or something but the fact of the matter is is that those voracious readers the ones that this ain't their first rodeo they have their kind of book they like they know what they're looking for and the closer you get to that the way higher chance they're going to give you um, to buying it. And, and for a new author that hasn't become super famous and can do whatever they want, or their name alone tells them what kind of book it is. I'm telling you, using these things will help you as you build that author platform and career. Because it's kind of an unspoken promise, isn't it? It's like, if you get the cover right, it means you also know the contents of the book. And if you get the cover wrong, then people are like, well, they're probably going to get the book wrong. Bingo. Yeah. I have definitely bought a couple of books because I love the cover so much and they weren't good books, but I still do it. I, I, it's rare for me to be like, I mean, somebody has to tell me that book is amazing and I absolutely have to read it for me to look past a bad cover or a yeah. cover. That's like, wait a second. That, does, what? that doesn't look good. Just, you, what, doesn't you look like up, what you brought up with the subtitle though, I think is important because they work in conjunction. I know my, the thing, my pet peeve is when people write a book and they're like, I don't know, the butterfly, a novel. And yeah, that's that yeah. <laughs> a novel there. It's like, of course it's a novel. What do people think it is a banana? No, exactly. If you have like a bad boy romance, then people see that in the adverts. They see that in the recommendations. They see that in the search results and it gives them more information about, oh, this is a thing and they click on it. So that's some of your most valuable real estate right there, isn't it? Yep. One of my favorite examples, there's this cover um, and the book is called Hitch, H-I-T-C-H. There's no other further words to it. And the cover appears to be, I, I would say I'm, I'm pretty sure that the cover is uh, what looks like a cowboy 
sitting on his horse, uh, kind of at the top of the hill, and there are fireworks going off. But it's dark. So, honestly, I could be wrong, and it's not a cowboy. It could be a, a Civil War uh, general on his horse. And those could might not be uh, fireworks. They could be ramparts, you know, blowing up in the air or something like that. And, and even still, I don't know if it's a romance if it's a soldier, warm, you know, Western, like I can't tell the only, and here's the kicker. I don't remember the author's name. Apparently the author's famous. And so a lot of people, they know what kind of book that author writes, but I, someone new trying to find a book. Okay. Um, would never have figured that out. I would have to click on it and then read the description and let's face it you we're in the the age the digital age where it's so much easier to keep scrolling and just click next or type something else into the search bar than it is to click on every book shown to you and read that's why i think that that while that that author is famous they probably made a lot of money they could have made a lot more by giving a bit more description or something in the cover that tells you what kind of story it is i don't even know if it's romance or not and you know what the new reader that's never read that person before, they don't know either, and they're not going to find out. Something has to catch your eye. Otherwise, you're just going to keep scrolling, right? And, I mean, sure. Uh, some people do uh, buy books by bestseller list, right? So if that guy's at the top, maybe that's what will make them buy it. But I think you're right. Like, I mean, it's going to also turn a lot of people off. And there's no reason necessarily to do that, you know, other than be like, oh, I can do whatever I want because I'm so hot right now that everyone buys my stuff. But more people would have bought your stuff maybe. <laughs> If you uh, if you had done that, so, um, but let's uh, you know we're we're running out of time, but I just wanted to just touch on a couple things. So when we talk about the keywords, so all that stuff through Publisher Rocket makes it super easy, and that stuff is what we put in our KDP dashboard in the in the seven keyword boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so so we we can use Publisher Rocket to tell us, as we were saying, about which of those keywords are the best, which one can make us the most sales, which are less competitive, more competitive. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, though, is your take on the idea of putting multiple keywords in those boxes, right? Because they each hold, uh, you know, quite a number of characters. Um, and we used to be at least where we would just stack all sorts of keywords in there uh, because then it gives you more than seven. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've got an article on this. I think we can put it in the show notes called Seven Kindle Keywords. And we did an experiment. I actually built this crawler that helped to figure out like the rankings for books as well as how much they get indexed. And we got a whole bunch of people from Kindlepreneur to actually let us play with their keywords uh, for this experiment. So we could see that when we put more keywords into the box and filled them up, what happened? Or when we put in one particular phrase, what happened? And here's what we found from this experiment. Okay. We found that it is true that when you put more words into that box up to the 50 characters, because each of the seven box allows 50 characters, you did show up for more things on Amazon. But that being said, though, is that when I put a particular phrase and I didn't add other words in there, just the phrase, I ranked better for the phrase. So my end recommendation to authors is that when you do your research, if you find, say, three or four phrases, these particular phrases that are so good and you want the best rankings, then put just that phrase in its own box, okay? So three or four boxes do that. Then for the rest of the remaining boxes, take all those other words that are good descriptions that you didn't find it perfectly as a phrase or whatever, and fill in those boxes as much as possible. And I think that's the best way to get the best bang for your punch. You know, you're ranking better for the ones that you know work because 
say you're using Rocket and you know this gets searches, you know it gets sales, and you really want that. But then you're also expanding where else your book can be found uh, because you've, to an extent, stuffed the other boxes as full as they can be. Um, And so, yeah, that's my absolute recommendation on how to kind of work with those seven Kindle keyword boxes. That's that's great advice. I love that. You know, best of both both worlds. Um, And then uh, one other question I had was about your... um, your calculator, your AABSR to sales tool. So ABSR, the Amazon bestseller rank. So basically, you know, somebody can go any book, scroll down a bit, you see all the information. And one of them is the ABSR, the the bestseller rank and say it's, you know, a million or say it's 50 or whatever. They can take that rank, put it into, you have a free tool. It's not even part of Publisher Rocket. I mean, I imagine the the code of it is probably built into Publisher Rocket to, to do a bunch of stuff, but people can actually go to that tool just put that value in and see how many sales they would need approximately to, to get that rank. Right. That's correct. Um, So my question was, because I wasn't clear, I've never sort of been clear on it. Maybe it's there and I just always miss it, but does that include uh, Kindle unlimited borrows? Yeah. So the, when it comes to, so let's break down what an Amazon bestseller rank is just in case people don't know Uh, the Amazon bestseller rank or ABSR is a rank from one to like 7 million with one being the best-selling book in all of Amazon and 7 million being the worst book or whatever the, the total number of books are now, right? And so what affects that Amazon bestseller rank is a bunch of things, okay? Um, and it's also in one section of the ABSR, it might affect it. In another section, it doesn't. And I'll get to that in a second, okay? Uh, the biggest effect is a sale. So if somebody goes and buys your book, That'll affect the Amazon bestseller rank the most. The second biggest effect to your Amazon bestseller rank is a KU download. Not even a page is read, but if they went, if they are a part of the Kindle Unlimited program and they click and they borrow the book and they never read it, you still have an effect. It will still show in your Amazon bestseller rank that something happened. So what's kind of stinks about that is that your Amazon, there is a chance that if say somebody's book is on KU and they get like 10,000 downloads, you know, from the KU program, but nobody reads it, which means they don't make a cent. They could have a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, Amazon bestseller rank. Okay. Um, Just for some, now, if you make your book free, it's in a different ABSR. It's not the same ABSR as the paid one. So just to make that clear. Um, The other things that kind of affect Amazon bestseller rank is that when you get to a certain point in the ABSR where nobody's made any sales, a couple of things actually affect it is clicks and how many times somebody's seen it. So in this case, if that book has never been seen, nobody's even come across it and nobody's ever clicked it, it's in the 7 million range. But if this book keeps kind of showing up somewhat in the searches and people have clicked on it, it will actually increase its rank because people clicked on it until it gets to a certain point where it's now competing with books that have actually made sales or had downloads and things like that. So that's um, sort of a advanced top about the Amazon bestseller rank and the calculator. The So anybody looking for it, you could either just type into Google Kindle calculator, or we could put it in the show notes. Um, you can go in there, you can put in the Amazon bestseller rank and choose whether it's ebook or book because those ABSRs are different. Okay. Um, put in that ABSR. And then it will give you an, a guesstimate of how many sales that is. It can account for the KU. 
Now, one of the things that's going to be happening very soon for Rocket is we're actually going to be able to account for the KU. Um, and so it's going to know that, hey, this is a KU book. And basically, from what we've seen from piles of data, this is usually what that amounts to in terms of sales. So very soon, we'll actually have that even be more accurate on kind of sales estimations at using that kind of information. But the calculator is a great way to just get a quick understanding of where a book stands, how popular it might be or not be. Um, and you can access that anytime you want. Now, that's going to be really interesting because I know there's there are a lot of people who are like, oh, you should be in KU and a lot of people who are like wide for the win. And it's kind of like you're going to really be able to, to yeah. show some evidence there. Well, and when we release that historical category data, like we're, we're you'll be able to remove KU as well, you know, uh, from the data so that if you're trying to like look at, hey, I'm in this category, what should I do? Um, and I'm not KU, then here's information about non-KU books that are doing good in that category. So like, like I said, that's one of those things where I'm really jazzed about because I always wanted to just remove them from the equation when making decisions. So I don't know. I love having a programming team and being an author, not going to lie. It's just a lot of fun because it's like, man, wouldn't it be nice? And then I'm like, hey guys, can we make that happen? Cool. Let's do this. <laughs> I, I, I feel the same way. You know, I, I, you know, when I want to add a new service or do a new feature or whatever on uh, Hidden Gems, I just tell my guy, I, we can, right? I mean, it's nothing complicated. I can have it up tomorrow. Like, I mean, you know, there's nobody to, you know, say, yeah. oh, we're going to do all these things and focus groups and blah. So, uh, it's yeah, so cool. Run it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that that's going to be really, really helpful to, to be able to pull that out because there's all these people that are, um, that are wide or they're deciding whether they should go wide. And then that'll give them sort of a better way to judge whether it's a good idea for them to, to do that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I think there's more and more momentum for people going wide. Um, I know you said wide for the win. That is a phenomenal Facebook group that's out there. Um, and they really share a lot of information. I, what I've seen, and just to kind of touch up on that between KU and wide, I have seen where people like they decide to not use KU and then they go wide and they just throw, throw books up there and they do nothing about it. And then they complain that they're not making any money from the other markets. Um, and so I remind people that, hey, if you're looking at going wide, I mean, you don't do that with Amazon, right? You don't just throw the book up on Amazon and do nothing. And then, right? I mean, so you can't expect that if you're not going to do anything about Barnes & Noble or iTunes, you can't really expect that they're going to do well. And so these authors that are wide for the win, that are really into it, they're giving just a little bit of love to those markets. And they're seeing higher return on investment because of that. So definitely don't throw it away just because people have kind of poo-pooed it in the past. I think a lot of people who've run into problems going wide is they just didn't give it its love, you know, and its attention that they give Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. We had Erin on from one from the wind, uh, I think three times now. And she really, I think in the last episode, really went into a lot of the things that you can do. And some of them are like, you know, super secret, you have to know this thing that's not written or published anywhere to, to get on to the promotions of, um, you know, of Barnes or whatever, like you have to email it to this guy, and then he'll maybe put it on, you know, like all these things. It's, it's so true that, you know, just putting it up there is not the same as, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people will do that, they'll put it everywhere. But because their Facebook ad can only point to one thing, they'll point it to Amazon. And then they'll be like, 
well, all my sales are coming from Amazon anyway. It's like, yeah, because that's your advertising and you're pointing everyone there and you're doing nothing exactly. to promote all the other sites. So, yeah. 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 And I, I personally, I know it's funny that my, my domain name is called Kindlepreneur, um, but I personally love doing as much as I can in the other markets just because I don't like there being just one market. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me feel uneasy. <laughs> yeah. So Absolutely. any way that we can really help to kind of help the other markets, I'm always jazzed about personally. Absolutely. That's correct. Well, unfortunately, it looks like we are running out of time. Uh, I think we could probably chat to you for hours more. But Dave, thank you so much for, for coming on. Craig, do you have any more questions before we wrap up? No more questions. Uh, just, you know, hopefully we, we covered enough for people to, to get an idea, at least, of uh, whether or not, you know, Publisher Rocket will be something that would help them. And I think, you know, if they've been paying attention, then they should know, yes, it will. So uh, we will definitely have a link on how to get uh, how to download that, as well as links to, to a lot of the other things we mentioned as well. And thanks thanks again for, for coming on, Dave. Absolutely. And again, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, well, it's been really, really great chat. And obviously, yeah, look down in the um, the description of this video, of this podcast, and you'll find links to everything we spoke about, including where you can go and buy Publisher Rocket for yourself. And uh, that's great because it supports us in uh, getting, getting the word out and helping authors actually uh, succeed in their career, which is part of the whole reason Craig started Hidden Gems in the first place. Um, and if you like what Dave had to say, make sure you, you leave a comment and let us know. Click that like button. If you haven't already, click that subscribe button. And we really appreciate you supporting this podcast. So thanks very much. We'll be back next week with another episode. Cheerio.